0: The fella.
1: the fella in the grain of my short. The fella in the grain of my short. Keep the good man on the bench
0: Welcome to the coaching debate on the Big Kickoff League of Ireland channel My name's Roy Shanahan and over the course of this year We'll be debating any and every topic relating to football coaching and management at all levels So don't be afraid Send in your questions to the big kickoff 96.4 at gmail.com and we'll run them past some of the best football coaches around. And that's the perfect link to introduce some of our panel this week. Well, I might introduce all of my panel. Firstly, we have coach educator Larry Mahoney, who is now also an author with his books Let the Players Play and Move the Ball. Welcome on, Larry. That's joining larry is former cove ramblers boss stephen henderson who also was head of youth development at shelbourne welcome stephen and last but very not least gary daly from training one-to-one who specializes in one-on-one and small group training and you can find them on instagram TikTok, and youtube so check them out okay so what we're going to do the layout is we're going to throw out a topic there Uh, and I will send it out to the coaches and we'll see what they have to say and we can talk about and debate. Okay, so it seems the very first episode of the coaching debate, the very first topic is, and we're going to start with you, Larry, what makes a good coach?
2: Well, I I, I think it's the obvious ones right there. I think, first of all, understanding the game is, is obviously important. I think then after that, it's its ability to communicate.
0: Stephen, you want to add anything to that?
3: Yeah, I think that that's pretty much wraps it up there. It's 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 not just having a good understanding of the game, but it's how you transfer that understanding to the players that you're coaching, or even the coaches that you're coaching. So yeah, so it's it's having a really good understanding of the game, educating yourself, and then how you can transfer that to your players.
0: Okay. Gary, I'll let you finish on that one before we move on. What do you reckon? Yeah,
1: I agree with the two lads, and I'd probably add kind of openness to it in terms of wanting to learn. Uh, we, if someone's fine. We think that, like when players get older, that we think that we can't teach them things, and then you kind of would wonder what's the point of being a coach because we're older than players are. And um, so I'd say, especially as a coach, being open to new ideas, it's a massive, massive um, thing as well.
0: Yeah. Okay, Stephen. What are the worst things that you've seen a coach do? What What are the things that, you know, grind your gears about uh, coaches?
3: Um, just actually going back to what Gary said there, it's the coach that thinks the player should know something. It's, it, it's um, you know, like I've had these conversations with coaches when, when we talk about certain aspects, he should know that. And you're saying, why should he know that? Because there's an assumption that somewhere down the line he was told it. Where I always kind of felt the assumption should be that they were not uh, and basically when you're watching them, you know they wouldn't. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So like, yes. you know, that the, and there's certain coaches out there that have a specific topic they want to coach. Predominantly, they want to do the uh, the fancy stuff, and you know it's no coincidence that even now in this day and age, I believe the art of defending is dead. I don't think it happens anymore. Some of the goals I'm seeing, particularly at league of world and level, are absolutely horrendous, and I think that's that's something that that irks me because it makes you feel or people try it would make you feel old school by by standing up and saying, "Hang on a minute, lads, we have to we have to defend as well." So you know we have to put time into defending, but they should know that. I want to I want to play to the five to play to the six to play out wide to play into the ten to play into the nine to finish it. Yeah, great. You'll get your little twenty seconds of TikTok. All right, with just seven months of heartache behind that uh, couple of seconds of TikTok. So I think it's um yeah it's these boys that just want to to, to concentrate on the fancy stuff and and as I think Lara and Gara kind of stipulated at the start, it's having a real good understanding of the game. And having the ability to coach all facets of that game and give these players as much information and stop assuming they know because they they want to know.
0: Yeah, okay. Larry, you're a coach educator. So, what are the, what are the common traits that our habits that coaches get into that kind of it's a stumbling block for them?
2: <laughs> How long have you got, really
0: <laughs> <laughs> Many not thousands as, long as you want. And no. many, thousands of th- many thousands,
2: of things that you want to talk about. You know. I, I think, speaking in very general terms and backing up exactly what Stephen said, I, I think there's been... Now, it, it was always being this way, but I think there's very much so... There's a modern thing now about how the game should be played and coaches have this idea of how the game should be played. And it doesn't necessarily relate to the players that they're working with. I see it all the time now. I see people and you, you, you've heard me say this before, I've seen guys trying to put Barcelona sessions on with under 11 D players. And it, this seems to be really, really common now, that coaches, like, coaches want to do the best for their players and they want to do what they think is the best. But coaches need to realise that it's really, really important to be able to see what's in front of your eyes. It's really important to be able to see what the problems are on the field. Because coaching is all about sort, sorting out players' problems. It's sorting out things that stop the team playing well together. It's, it's sorting out things, just as Stephen said, for example, the defending. You know, the coach has got to, you know, I see a lot of young coaches and what he's saying about playing for the six to the 10 and all this. this it, it's bullshit. Like it, when you're talking to a group of players who probably can't put two or three passes together. <laughs> you see, but I see that happening all the time now, right? And I see again. I, I, I it, it's probably it's probably a function of my age now at this stage, anyway. But I'd have to back back up what Stephen's saying in the, in terms of the defending, right? right? That people are obsessed with playing like Manchester City or playing like Liverpool, and they don't realise that the work they have to do is in front of them, in front of their eyes, that they have to sort out what's going wrong with their team. And an awful lot of the time now at all the levels that I see, what's gone wrong with a lot of teams is their ability to defend individually and collectively.
0: Is, Larry, is it a case that when you are a coach, that when you step in, you should be looking at the things that aren't working first before you look at the things that you want to work?
2: Well, the first thing that you do when you get a team, you've got to evaluate where your players are, really. So if you want... It, it, we're taught nowadays not, not to couch things in negative terms, not to say things negatively like that. So rather than saying things that are going wrong or things that we need to improve on, right? But it's to see the most, it, it, it comes with experience in seeing the most important thing first, whatever that may be. It may be people giving, giving away possession all the time. It may be defenders letting people run in behind them all the time. It may be midfielders trying to force play all the time. But whatever the most important thing is, experience teaches the coach to be able to identify what that is and then go and sort it out.
0: Absolutely. Okay, Gary, up at Training one to one you do uh, great individual sessions, but when news are taken on a coach, what is it that you look for and what is it that would turn you off a coach?
1: I think someone has to share what what you see in in football and why you want. I suppose why why you coach and for me it's the game and it's also the person aside from that. So, um, big one for me is someone who can I can get on with and deal with and who will share values with me, but also not be too agreeable in the same in the same breath. And they have to then be able to have that relationship with players where essentially they can motivate the player they can um they can engage with the player in that sense uh just going back uh, a step to what steven said and it's kind of a personal anecdote for me when he talked about defending is uh, from working in a, also work with a team as well and we found when we didn't have the ball that it's, i think this kind of has happened in modern football where you have your defensive midfielder just kind of shadows and screens players and then we kind of me and the head coach kind of got together and we were like, we have two centre-halves against one centre-forward. Why do we need this midfielder sitting there doing another job? So it is it is that idea where it's – and it's almost demonised a bit, that idea of good defending play. People see it as, oh, it's poor attacking play rather than actually complementing what is good defending. And I think that's a massive way we're gone. almost – it's almost – and again, as Larry said, people are trying to put on sessions they probably see on Twitter with their under 10 C or D team when it's just not what's on front. You know, um, I just wanted to reemphasize about endpoints points as, as well.
0: Yeah, no, I, be... there's
2: one thing there, Roy. Again, depending on the level that we're talking about, and again, this is a, a, a being bon, spoke, my I spoke to you about this before. Mm-hmm. It, depending on the level that you're working at, if you're working at developing players, I cannot see how players until they reach senior football uh, have uh, will be shaped into a into a specific role in terms of being a defensive midfielder or an attacking midfielder, I think, and I know I I I sound like Johnny Giles on this one. (laughs) We're starting to look like each other, myself and Johnny, right? But I think midfield players, I think at a young age, when players are developing, they must be taught to be able to do both sides of the game. Midfielders have got to be able to... What's their basic job? Their basic job is to connect up the two lines of the team, the the defence and the attack. So they should be able to play but also as well their their main job is to protect the defense behind them so they should be able to defend as well so players who can only i know and i know tactically this works at the highest level but from a, a player's development point of view putting them into a box or her into a box at an early age i don't think that helps the player's development at all
0: okay and and you just want to work off that yeah cuz
3: i i agree with that because you know, I fell into it there earlier. I think one of the worst things that's happened modern modern day football is putting a, a quintessential position on the number. It, they don't talk positions anymore; they talk numbers. Uh You know, the number ten. Yeah. You know, what I mean, the the number six or whatever you want to call them. You four or a six, the defensive midfield player. Um, you know, in relation to development, like. Me and Larry will get bombed off this show because like you know, we're coming we're coming from an era where football is football. And it's a case of midfield players have have jobs, and you know, those jobs like when I was managing midfields would win or lose me the game. It's as simple as that. I could not have one midfielder and tell him, look, at your job is just to sit there in front of the back four, get on the ball and spray a few nicest passes around. And your mate here, your job is to get up, score goals, get back, defend goals, get in and create goals. Do you know what I mean? So there there has to be, um, we have to enhance what the team ethic is. And throughout a football team, there's these little partnerships. And these little partnerships require communication. And I don't think we should be putting uh, players from, say, the kind of 10 to 12-year-olds up even to under four, I don't think they should be defensive midfield players. I don't think they should be boxed into as, as a defensive midfield player. I think they should be taught to play the game on the merits of how the game is transferred in front of them. So, in other words, when you have to defend, yeah, you're behind the ball, and when we're going attacking, one of us is going to make a third-man run if that if that's on, and one of us will will, will hang up and we'll pick up at, and that comes back out of the box. And and strip it back and go back to the basics. And, and I think we, we've gone away from teaching players the basics of the game. And the basics of the game is how you play it on the merits of the game. We can't go and teach play now from the back on a pitch like Daily Mount, for instance. If you look at what's happening in, in Talker Park, yeah, what's called Shells are to giving away so many goals playing square passes on a pitch that is not sustainable for that type of football. So we have to play the game on its merits. So I think I think we have to stop pigeonholing players at young ages and putting them in uh, CDM, attacking midfield players, the number 10 and all this, Vlad, coming in, inverted wide players. Do you know what I mean? Let's strip it back to the basics, teach the kid the basics. And when they understand the basics, then allow the flair, then, then as they get older, you know, apply their personality into that within a team structure that they're now going to. You know what I mean? I just, I just think it's the I old results versus development
2: game. debate, really. Like we're talking, we're talking the League of Ireland, where it's important to win, and at, at the higher levels of junior football, where it's important to win. Now that's not saying it's not it's not important to win at every level. Of course it is, but what what's the priority? Your team may may be sounder defensively by using a defensive midfield player at fourteen or fifteen. But that player is not going to come out as a fully rounded player when he's 18 or she's 18, and that's what that's the job of you coaches to develop it is to develop a fully rounded player. You know I that think, that that can do every part of the game.
1: I think a big one on that, and it's actually something interesting where, especially when I bring a player into a club environment, I would be very big on playing and. Especially as they develop and get older towards like your 16, 17, 19 about playing across two units. So, either playing, let's say, if they are sentiment and being able to play as a fullback, uh, I find that's massively important, especially as you get to a first team setup. You might get your chance because of an injury at rifle, but you're stronger as a sentiment, but that could be your little break in. And then you never know, like the lad said, if you're not pigeonholed when you're younger, you might end up being a great rifle. So, um, I think mean, that's massive as well, Being able, especially if you can to play across two different. So backline, midfield, or midfield, and up front, or whatever it might be. Yeah. I, I don't know whether it's still the case now,
2: but it, it used to be the case at the Ajax Academy that the players learned to play every position. Yeah, they got yeah. some yeah. experience, and
0: it's the only way to get a greater understanding mm. of the game—to to know what the 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 your left full if you're a left winger or a centre midfielder needs where he wants you. It's it, it's, it's. Sorry, it's right?
1: Not... Just
3: in relation to this, like. Ha- you know, I think I feel like I might have been talking about an eight, year, an eight, an eight-year-old and a and a senior league of Ireland player in the same breath. There, just in in relations to the steps of the development, and I'd love to hear Larry's opinion on that. Where where would you go in relation to eight to twelve-year-olds? When you know the League of Ireland academies now start around under fourteen years of age, right? That's when the League of Ireland clubs academy start. So for me, that's that's way too old, anyway, right? I think I think. You know they should be having them, basically from from the start. But what would your what would your idea of if we if if you were hired now by the FEI, what where would your emphasis be? Where would you put in terms of develop player development? What age would you start with, and, and what would be the process you would use? Well, the younger the younger the players,
2: obviously start with with good quality practice the better. So if if you could guarantee me that really all the players will get good coaching at, at all every grassroots club. I would say leave them at the grassroots club, but I don't think that's the case, right? Now I, I was lucky enough I saw Rovers, Shamrock Rovers. Now they they're doing it right from the bottom up, and I saw their under nines playing last week, right? And I, I, I'm not really aware of the fa- whether they um whether the other clubs are standing that early or not, but you know. It, I always use the argument: if you were living in Manchester or you were living in London, where would the best under 9s be playing? They'd they'd be already at the clubs. It would they would be getting professional coaching all the time. Now we we've had this thing in in recent years about the League of Ireland academies and the and the underage leagues, right? And what the underage leagues meant was that great schoolboy clubs. Lost well, not so much. They lost their identity, but they lost their place in the game because they weren't producing. The they weren't getting the best, best uh, the, the 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 best players. So, and a lot of people are unhappy about that. But the thing about it is, in any every other country in the world, it's the professional clubs who look after the development of of the young players of the of the of what of the best young players, of the most talented young players.
0: That so, costs money though, doesn't it, Larry? Yes, That's
2: of course problem. it does. And and this is the thing about rovers now, they're putting money into they're putting money into the younger age groups. Now I'm not really aware what, what the other clubs are doing. And I'll have to be honest about that, you know. But in reality, what we were talking about for for years, like we were competing with Barcelona because the best kids in Barcelona were playing at the Barcelona Academy, whereas the best players in Dublin were playing at amateur clubs. So I, I, I'm really torn between the, the whole National League thing and the development and the academy thing because these were great clubs, but I don't think they should have been as powerful as they were. I think, I think all the way through, I think the League of Ireland clubs, to be honest, our approach, well, not our approach, but the way we taught in, in, when, when I was working for the FAO in coach education, the League of Ireland clubs were getting away with murder because they weren't putting anything into youth development. Because they were they were creaming off the players at under 18s. So I think it's a good thing that that the kids that, that the National League clubs now are more or less being forced to take the younger players in. But is it? Is it, it has to be done properly. It has to be done properly. That's the thing. If if you could guarantee me that the coaching is going to be better and the facilities are going to be better and the the uh, the habits that they learn and and the discipline they, that they get at the professional club is going to be better, well then I'd say yeah. Just uh, the, the national league club should be should be taking the lead in youth development.
0: Yeah, and but there's a lot of them who are. Have links now to clubs as well. So instead of setting up their own under eights, nines, a, a youth academies, they're 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 stepping in with other clubs. And I'm I'm not so sure about helping, and that's where it needs to work. They need to have, uh, if it's same Pat's and they're working with a, a club, they need to be getting their coaches in. They need to be uh, get coaches down there, educated, and uh, as you said, develop a certain level of player. If that's not the case, then they need to do it on their own. So I I think you're right.
2: Yeah. And and the thing about this debate, Roy, this is taken, this is taken the direction that every debate goes on about coaching. It's about the best players. Yeah. And everyone talks about the best players and bringing the best players through.
0: Let me ask the next question, Larry. Uh, The next question that we have on is, should all teams follow the FAI directive? Play 4-3-3 and look to play out from the back. Now, When I seen that directive, I seen that that's a directive for focused on the best players, if you want. We all say elite players and all that, but the top players. And we had a little discussion there, Stephen had a little discussion as well about players and yourself who aren't at that level. So is the focus not on football in general around the country, but really just those top players? Well, I was up
3: in there if you don't mind, right? Because uh, what I have seen in the short period of time, and why I wanted to get into uh, the younger age group after the senior football, I wanted to see what was happening down there. And and the reality is that these the best players at this age group aren't the best players at that age group. And we have this mindset. You see, like a blind man on the street will spot a really talented young player. Do you know what I mean? So, so they're they're in your face. What we have to try and identify are these players, and well, one of the things I really noticed was that the, the fundamental motor skills that that players when we when we brought that into shells, the difference in some of these players that were passed off as bad players, well it was just that they hadn't got their bearings right uh, in relation to their to their athletic composition. They just hadn't got their bearings right, and they looked poor players. But when we started introducing uh, physical literacy programs to there and we started to develop these players, all of a sudden, you know, there was a different look there. So, you know, I think we're too focused on, on trying to find these players that have a natural ability. And, and we dismiss the players that look awkward. When in reality, these are the boys that we should be noticing and saying, hang on a minute, this, this kid could be good. Let's put programs in place. Let's not dismiss any kid until 15 or 16. And there's a reason why I say that, because I've seen it with lots of players, me also included, in relation to the growth sports. The growth sports, I had lads coming from Shells uh, under 13, they had have to leave for a year, they came back around their 15, they're at their ground two feet. You know what I mean? They're literally at their ground two feet. And, and, you know, there's no way any athlete can perform at any kind of top level, whilst their body is going through that. But what we can do in terms of bringing in athletic development modules in relation to player development, you know, the the actual national plan, that this has to come in our under eights. And this is where I believe grassroots clubs have a huge part to play and have continue to have a huge part to play. That this is where these can really excel. by getting the programmes in at the grassroots clubs. And and they become part of the national um, development program, not just with the FA, not just with uh, League of Ireland teams. That everybody has a has a plan to work with, and these are the different stages that we work on it. You know what I mean? And Obviously, they have to go to the League of Ireland because the League of Ireland is the professional league, and that's where the kids will get showcased more. Do you know what I mean? So like you know, when we're putting on when when the schoolboy clubs are getting upset, maybe they they have a right to be upset. But if you sit the kid down and you say you want to play for X or you want to play for, for Y, they'll go for the League of Ireland team every time because they see that as a natural progression and there is a natural progression. But what we have to try and do, I believe, is just try and come up with a national plan that starts at eight years of age. Do you know what I mean? Let's, let's, and, and it's not always about football. I think Gareth said it right. we have to start putting in these programs that develop them athletically and give them the confidence because confidence is a huge thing, believe it or not. Well, you would know that even at nine or 10 years of age, that these kids, when when they start to run that little bit better, when they're starting to walk that little bit taller, they feel that. And then you're starting to get a player. So, you know, there's so many different ways that we develop players. And it's not always through just playing football. It's about putting them in an environment that allows them to grow both mentally and physically, and then having the capability to play the game. And there's loads of time for them to learn to play the game there's not loads of time for us to give them the ammunition to play the game.
0: Yeah, Gary, you must see that when you're in in your uh, training sessions, you'll have kids uh, of the youngest age going through all the way through to to League of Ireland or just top, you know, Premier football in the DDS SL. Um, you must see that, that those changes, how they affect them, and you know how they can progress.
1: Yeah. um, And a big thing, I think, especially when you deal with a player, sometimes in a one-on-one sense is you kind of can build that trust with a player where, especially when you get players who've been let go from clubs, whether it's some lads come back from England and can be very disillusioned and whatnot. um, And even younger players getting let go from League of Ireland clubs for whatever reason. And yeah, like Stephen said, it's Sometimes the reasons and the feedback players are given—it's it, all about the kind of X's and O's of and O's of football, the whole tactical side of things, whatnot. Where Stevens kind of hit at a more well-rounded approach, and even to reference the directive, you said the two things in it playing a four-three-three three, and the second playing up from the back are two like X's and O's concepts of football, which is the the small, in my opinion, is the smallest part. It's, it should be about teaching principles in terms of when we have the ball, don't have the ball, and things like that. Like you look at a four-three-three. Three, our senior international team hasn't played a 4-2-3 in any, over a year, I don't think. Well, so. What, what happens if you have two
2: two central strikers that are really, really good and play really well That's together? Right. What happens? A, a word that hasn't been heard in an awful long time. What happens if you have a kid who's a natural sweeper? To give you the two, the two extremes at the different ends of the pitch. You know? You've got to shape your team in terms of what the abilities of the players, which you've got to shape your team to to give the group of players that you have their best opportunity to shine. Whereas telling you to play a certain formation, like, and, and yeah. it, by the way, anytime I've seen it, and I don't see it that much, but anytime I see it, it never looks like 4 3 3 to me, it always looks like 4 <laughs> Yeah. It never looks like 4-3-3 yeah. like three, three to me. Right. All, all the emerging talent stuff and, and, and that I've seen. Like, we don't uh, I, I don't think we trust the wide players to stay up front and be front players. And I don't think we have a, the midfield mobility to cover for those three players playing up front. We, we want our players coming back all the time. It never ever looks like 4-3-3 three, three to me.
1: Yeah, I think what, what Stephen said from rates up the national plan, it should be Create the environment that facilitates like player welfare in terms of dealing with rejection, things like that, physical development, growth spurts, and all that kind of stuff. Maturation, obviously, technical stuff, contact time on the ball. Like they're more of the foundation. The tactical stuff can be like formations are like Larry Zetter. Like you watch Man City now, they can play three different formations in a twenty-minute window. Like it's it shouldn't be the the be all and end all from an association, in my opinion. I I strongly agree with what Stephen said. It should be. A plan to create an environment that develops people, players, and gives them that chance by keeping them with their self confidence and whatnot, keep them in the game as long as possible, and then ready for them chances if they do get it because it's obviously it's the hardest career in the world for anyone who has made it would say.
0: Yeah. So, chances so it looks like Stephen that we're saying that you shouldn't play four three three, like the directive is said. You shouldn't play out from the back if your players aren't capable of playing out from the back. So why would there be that kind of short-sightedness within a professional outfit? Well, they're only see, thinking of
3: say, the elite players.
0: Sorry, sorry Steve, go ahead. I'll go ahead,
3: Larry, because I would have got myself into trouble there. You they're, they're, they're only
2: <laughs> they're thinking of the elite the players. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is geared to the highest level. Let me, everyone is looking at the highest level. There's only 1% or half a percent of players who play at the highest level. It's geared to that. And, it, it, you know, it, it, I've said this before. Time, if I can get my team in green shorts to be passing to another green short and move the ball to another green short down the field, I'd be quite happy at a certain level. Like, it, it depends on the level you're playing at. Yeah. Like, 99% of the coaches, right, <clears throat> they would be happy to get that to happen. And they have players who would not aspire to much more than that, right? But the directive is coming down from above. We, we should we should build from the back. We should play four three three. We should look like Manchester City. But we're not Manchester City. We're Irish, you know. And the whole debate is weighted too far in favour of the highest level, right? What Stephen said earlier. I always say this to coaches and. Again, you've heard me say this, Roy. Your granny could be a scout for Manchester United, right? Because the only players going to sign for Manchester United is the fella, you, your granny goes down to the field and sees getting the ball and beating, beating the other nine players on the pitch and sticking the ball in the net. These are the players that are going to play at, at the highest level. But these are the players that everything is aimed at, that people are talking about all the time. Everyone is talking about elite, 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 elite. All I hear all the time is elite, Right, and again, and and that's sort of manifested itself in the man, in the Manchester City YouTube video thing, like seeing the man seeing Pep. Well, I saw Pep doing this, right, yeah. and then I'm am go, going down, I'm going down the field in Arco, and I'm, I'm, I'm playing with a D team, I'm coaching the D team, and like
1: it's just a different world. It's aimed at the one percent of players, really. Of
2: course, it is. But the, the modern culture has led to that now. And again, I, I'm waiting for your first text to use the word dinosaur, right? You should give a prize <laughs> for, the first, for the first dinosaur thing. But I honestly believe this is the effect of the internet. Everyone knows everything now. Yeah. Right? Every coach knows everything. Everyone is seeing Bar- as Barcelona train. Everyone knows about rotating in midfield. Right? Right? And all this obsession with rotating the midfield, I don't see many teams at the highest level even doing that. But I've seen, I've seen coaches on the side of the pitch when there's a goal kick, in an under twelve game, shouting "rotate," <laughs> and the three midfield players change places, right? And get, and get marked by the same players that and they're and proud exactly. Of and the <laughs> ball goes into midfield, and it doesn't end up going into the front because people. Uh, again, what, uh, I'm jumping from one thing to the other but uh, you know this Stephen uh, in the coaching at one time, we were at the forefront of trying to convince people to play from the back Right when football in this country was it was a battle, it was about kicking long and fighting and getting second balls and winning the ball in the air and winning tackles We, were, we were, I can remember a stage where we were trying to get people to play out from the back Right, And not being very successful in convincing them to do it. Right, But now I think it's gone the opposite way. I, th- I think with people have become obsessed with playing at the back. They've forgotten that the idea of building at the back is, is to present forwards with good quality service. Rather than hitting it up around our ear, we try and get ourselves space at the back so we can deliver the ball into forwards, it, 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 quality passes into forwards or into midfield. But people have lost sight of that. I see I see I see people going backwards all the time now. Young players going back all the time because they keep, they think they should keep possession when really what they should be doing is penetrate.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's no arguments there. I think when I when I seen those directives coming out force you had the Pats and the rovers um everybody was playing 4-3-3 and it was the team who had the best players. Yeah. Won, won the league and they won it well because these players could play 4-3-3 and I watched other teams trying to play 4-3-3 trying to play out from the back and they're getting beaten 6 and 7 nil. and and I remember watching the match, it was actually Shells playing Bray it was and <laughs> the, the 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 Shells players um tried to play, the, the three Bray uh, forwards we're standing on the edge of the 18-yard box from a kick-out in a sprint position, in a sprint position. Because they knew they weren't going to kick the ball over their head, they knew they weren't going to uh, try and play through them. They just knew that the goalkeeper was going to kick it to the centre half at six on the edge of the six-yard box, and the goalkeeper bang, three boys bang, two seconds later, a kick-out is a goal, tip-off. Yeah. And it promoted that kind of stuff. And you're saying to yourself, no, this can't, that's not development. This is not development. This is not teaching kids how to play the game. What really could be happening there is, is that these three boys are now in sprint positions, right? That means there's space somewhere else. So a good coach will be telling them, now let's exploit the space there. But they weren't. They want to play, try and play away our trouble. And they were continuously getting themselves into trouble. And it was it was always farcical. I always felt it was farcical because, I you know, you, you you want a club, say a club may have a philosophy that that runs through. As I was saying earlier about Ajax, uh, right? They have this philosophy. They're all their teams play through. You don't have the whole bloody country playing the same system. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You don't have the whole bloody country playing. They the play, same they system. Play true,
2: Stephen, they, ha- they play through Steven because they They play through because they have the best young players in Holland. Yeah. And look, you said in the the way the the, 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 the ancient Greek league, what you said there, you put your finger on it. The ancient Greek league, you know, who won the ancient Greek league? The team that had the best players, (laughs) 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 and the Roman (laughs) league, and the Abyssinian (laughs) league. It was always the team that had the best players. (laughs) That's an ancient truth, Ah. and look, that's the way it is, and that's the way football is. And you go at the young again at the younger levels, more so. Like, the team with the best players are going to win. But you've got to teach all the players. This is the thing that people are forgetting. You've got to teach all the players. And what you're saying is 1,000% correct. Because no way, in any way, in, in, in no one will ever convince me that giving goals away by trying to play in a dogmatic way is good football. No
3: way oh, is it's that not good, for good for the players, and the poor goalkeepers, I'd say half the League of Ireland goalkeepers have retired at this stage. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? It's Some of it is... is
0: Don't uh, get me started on the goalkeepers. You know, that's,
3: that's another <laughs> rant. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: There's another rant do, there. <laughs> Gary, you were
0: looking to jump in there.
1: Uh, I was just going to say, yeah. Um, Larry made the point about um why you would play off in the back. People forget why you want to do it, for example, and it's individual to your team you do it to bring a team up the pitch towards your goal to leave space behind them and then that whole idea of a long pass isn't actually i don't see a coach a lot anymore like you you think every training session it's your small little rondos in a 20 by 20 box and the pitch is a hell of a lot bigger than that and we probably don't coach and it's a, a whole different dimension to coach that idea of a long pass where you're finding someone's feet or space or whatnot so and then like steven said if you're Telling your players to play out when you can see they're herring to pressure on the edge of your box. You're not teaching the kids a decision to make. You're saying you just do it anyway. Well, what about these three guys who are standing right? No, you just do it anyway. You know, it's it's it is bizarre to think about it, but we don't we should teach them when to do it, why they're doing it, so they're not just doing it for the sake of it, and then give them the how if they're up on the pitch, you teach um where the space will be for your keeper to play direct into or whatnot, or if the team drop off, then you might decide, right, they've dropped off. That's like our trigger to play, like things like that. Not just going, we'll do it anyway, no matter what, you know, you have to yeah. teach the kids. And the bizarre, thi-
0: the bizarre thing is, is that the, the they're asking us to, to do that with the kids and teach the kids. But I, I'm looking at million pound footballers and clubs worth billions Forcing their players to do it week in, week out, whether it's a Burnley or a Southampton, and they're getting eaten up by the bigger clubs. Again, as Stephen said, uh, I think the new tactic, if you want to call it, even though it's not a new tactic, everyone in the world is getting good at pressing now and, and cornering people in and making traps and stuff like that. When we don't really, uh, we don't really need to. Um, bust oh, I'm sorry, them. now you
3: shouldn't be saying that to a Manchester United supporter like
2: me. Now,
0: it's right? <laughs> <laughs> probably who was able yeah, to but, ask.
2: But the thing about it is, though, as well, Roy, and people, people just wouldn't believe this. Like, it's amazing how professional football and professional clubs and even professional coaches who should know better just follow fashion. Yeah. Oh what you? Before Barcelona started taking, center back, started dropping back level with the goalkeeper in Barcelona, no one did it. No one did it. And because you do it, it.
0: you're not Barcelona.
2: Yeah, but now everyone does it. They just follow fashion. And you're right. Sure, Fulham went down the year before last, right? And they They gave two or three goals away every single game by trying to play out in the back, by giving the ball away in their own half. And again, I come back to this. Giving the ball away in your own half no matter what your philosophy is, and I hate using that word, the P word, right? Philosophy. It's a long way from philosophy, it was rare, but anyway, right? No matter what your philosophy is, giving the ball away in your own half is not good football.
0: Yeah. 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 And it's, we're supposed to be creating options for young players to then decide which is the best option for them. And now we're creating no options for them and uh, making them look stupid. So, I think we're all in agreement there that uh, we need to open our mind a little bit there. Um, okay, we're going to go on to the next question. Uh, this, it's a tweet that i seen from Shane Smith. Shane's a, a, a coach. Uh, he's with the GAA as, as well. Uh, two non-negotiables for children in sport. A, no child should be a sub every week. B, every child should be afforded equal game time. Uh, Stephen, you start on that one.
3: Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think... Um, we talk. We talk about development, and we uh, what do you call it. The, the The real development happens on the football pitch. That's that's where they learn. Um, and like what we're saying, the, the learning comes through the decisions that these young players make. And if they're not getting the game time to do that, well, then they're never going to improve. And I see League of Ireland clubs doing that as well. And my I I I had an argument once with it over it. That if I see a, if I see a League of Ireland uh, team not giving this player an opportunity and he feels that oh look he's probably not up to this standard I don't think that's the player's fault I think that's the coach's fault on two fronts one he was the one who signed him so you obviously can't identify a player and two if you're seeing something in him then you don't have the capabilities to make him better to step into your team so I don't blame this on the player I blame that on the coach. I do think there is a stage within life that you have to earn the right to play in the team. I think around under-17s, you have to start earning the right. That's why I think, you know, you still have to be guaranteed a certain amount of game time, but there has to be consequences for your actions. I I don't think kids can fall into it. I'm going to get me half an hour next week. I'm going to get me an hour next week. I think at some stage, they have to learn that football in itself, and particularly at the high level, if that's their, their goals and that's where they want to achieve, well then they have to accept that the standards that you have to achieve week in, week out. But definitely, um, as we go through the 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 process of, of you know the, the kids matured and going through the fourteens and the fifteens, they have to be given the opportunity to 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 grow, to deal with all these changes in their body. And then you can start judging them at seventeen, because they more or less gone through the worst of it. They've had a whole Kinda decade of education in terms of technical development, in terms of physical development, in terms of now the mental development part is, you have to learn how to deal with not 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 being picked. You have to learn how to deal with that. What what is the effects that has on you? Are you gonna are you going to drop away and feel sorry for yourself, or get your mum and dad to ring the manager, or are you going to say, hang on a minute, what's going on here, and fix it yourself? And that player will ultimately become better. But uh, that's obviously at the older age groups, and it's really important, particularly at national league level. But well, without a shadow of a doubt, um, there's, there's absolutely no excuse for kids not to be getting the same amount of game time. Absolutely no excuse for
0: it. Yeah, Gary. Well, what age do you think that, as Stephen said, players should start to have or should have that realization that they can't just walk onto a pitch; uh, they have to start earning it. What age is that? That it should start it
1: would probably be similar enough to steven it's like sick that 16 year old so on another 17 player that would be um i think from obviously the minute they start playing up until that kind of age it should be even game time and obviously the set the other point that's important is actually that they still start they're not just the one that gets brought on all the time they yeah. grow to be between a starting yeah. player or not because again players have to learn there's a difference between being a player who comes off the bench and starts a game uh i'd probably say, say about 16. um it's it is a massively important lesson because that's kind of the thing when you're always giving game time. It's, it's they know it's always there and there's no consequence whether they like turn up and do nothing in training or I've even know people who some of these players don't turn up at training at some schoolboy clubs and then just comes and has to get what X amount of minutes. So yeah, there there, there should be consequences at some stage. At, How do you deal that? with that?
0: Yeah, because like if you have someone who who is like that and is is, is taken to Michael, do you? Do you still give him that game time? Do you still give it?
1: I'm gonna put myself in a situation where let's say it's obviously quite a young age, let's say, whatever, another 10 to another 12 year old. I think the conversation has to come to a parent and be like, Well, how I would probably deal with it would be, Well, I can't start him if he doesn't turn up for let's say two training sessions, if he never turns up for them two training sessions, then I'd probably make that a non negotiable in the group where it's like, Obviously, if there's no reason he's just not showing up, then that player can't start. And then until he changes that habit, he's not going to get that starting and i know that kind of contradicts what i said a couple of minutes ago but there i don't think you can always just let people away and let parents away with these things you the conversations have to be had and explain your reasoning don't just not play the kid all the time and then six months down the line they go, well he hasn't started a game in, in six months you pull the parent and the player and you explain your reason i can't start him if he's not showing up to two training sessions when there are kids who are making that effort and uh, i think if you explain the rationale that's obviously helps a lot at least that way you've aired what you your thoughts on
0: the issue, you know? Yeah, Larry, communication's key in these situations, isn't
1: it? Yeah,
2: I sort of disagree a little bit with the lads. You can only speak from your own experience, you know, and the last team I took sort of all the way up, which is a good while ago now, it was actually Young Scales that's playing for Celtic now, was his team. Up to under 10, they, uh, they everyone had e- equal game time. I think up to under 10 in Wicklow at that time, that was an Arco Town team and they had, uh, whatever way it worked out, we were able to work it out mathematically that everyone got the exact same amount of time. And they did that to under 10, right? Now, I think at that time, they probably moved to 11 aside at 11 years of age. I think it was, I could be wrong. It may have been, it may have been under 12. And again, you can only, you can only go by, I think each group is individual. Like that, Every single group will be different. But my feeling then was the players could understand this. Right. Now you know, I know a lot of time about 16, 17, but my feeling then, and it probably hasn't changed much, that the players know the story, even at that young age, right? They know when they're being treated fairly or not. Now it's not fair if that guy doesn't turn up training and he gets playing minutes ahead of a of a fellow who has trained twice a week. And I think the kids have a natural feeling for that. Okay, and of course there'll be exceptions to that, but I think they need. To, it depends on what what it's based on, though. It, it can't be just based on ability. If you see what I mean, you can't just what, play the best about, players.
0: No, and what? So what about players who turn up training every week? And I'm kind of in agreement with you, Larry. I'm thinking in around the under 14 and under 13 age group because that's what I found with a number of teams that at that stage then. It wasn't that they wouldn't get, they wouldn't be getting, you know, five minutes here or ten minutes there. That's not that that's not the case, but they they may very well be getting just you know just less than a half or whatever yeah. if they weren't putting it yeah. in and training or. Well, they, as, as long as everyone understands
2: or, that, I remember specifically yeah. a parent coming to me once and saying, "Why is he not playing?" And I said, "I'll tell you why he's not playing because he's just not trying as hard as everyone else." he's coming up and he's messing. All the other lads are trying their best and he's messing. And the parent turned around and said, well, that's fair enough. <laughs> Couldn't yeah. really say anything else to that, you know. All but things like I said, being
0: equal, though, if, ev- the, if, if everyone's working, working hard oh, on well, the same then, page.
3: Yeah, yeah, of course.
0: Agreement. I, think I think it's
3: important as well that we have a good understanding of the background of the family before we make kind of decisions like that on 12-year-olds on and 13-year-olds. That, that's it. what I'm saying, Stephen, about every, every situation is different. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Everything is different. And some clubs are small clubs where you'll have a really kind of um, in-depth knowledge of, of that community because you don't have that many teams. And then you can go to the bigger clubs where where the, the, that kind of holistic approach is, is not kind of been used there. It's, there's no real understanding of, of, of what the player is going through, I've seen that a few times where, you know, they're not showing up for training, what's going on, and then you actually find out why they're not showing up for training, and then, right, we have, let's, now, now you become a support mechanism for that player. Yeah. And and the reality of it is, is that when he plays that match on a Saturday, it's actually some form of release for that young player. And we have an obligation to look after players in that in that way as well. Because I, I don't think we should be ramming down, should we be winning trophies on their 12s, 13s and I, I not don't, I don't think that's really relevant. Yeah, if you get them, great and what have you. But I just think it, it's for us as coaches that if we can have a look at the player, understand the player, understand the family, understand the background, um, you know, and then walk towards that. You know, we're going to get good players out of it. And, and the reality is, is that whatever this player is going through, someone within that group knows that. They know that. So, again, Lara's on the money. Like, you know, players are, you know, they, they see this kid coming up and he's playing. They probably have a good understanding, but we have to be there as a support mechanism for them. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm no genius at this by any stretch of the imagination, but we try to do that at Shells. We try to put, to put this kind of holistic approach in there to have a better understanding. I've made mistakes myself throughout the years. We all have, I'm sure we have. But I want to see, how do we make this? How do we make this better? How do we kind of put time into the players? And, uh, you know, and and let them go through. They're going to go through an awful lot of problems as teenagers, an awful lot of problems. And that's why I think myself and, and Gar would be saying, like, coming through 16 and 17, you know, you, you, you're you kind of hoping they've they they've come through whatever traumas they went through, their injuries, whether it's life problems or any of that. Now you're gonna to have to learn how to to be a big lad here now in relation to football. Football, you gotta you gotta come up, you gotta train, yeah, you, you know, you gotta put the time and effort in. And and you know, if you're not doing it, well then we'll drop you. And this is part of the consequence and this is the big boys world. And if you're not able to commit to that, we'll always be here to support you in somewhere, but you'll probably have to go to a club who can facilitate your play.
0: And as I, you said, I, as you sorry, uh, as you said, Stephen, it's a it's about gaining knowledge about your players and your team. So what might suit one team won't suit another. So you you will you will, as Larry said before, it's a case by case basis. Yeah,
2: yeah. and I, I think I think Roy as well. Again, when we talk about coaching a game, we, we we go and talk about you know the guys who are at Shelbourne, right? If someone's at Shelbourne. Either they or their parents have their eye on playing for Shelbourne's first team. Would I be right in saying that, Steve? Yeah, yeah. You see, and again, that's different than ninety percent of the ninety-nine percent or ninety-five percent of the cases, mm. right? So someone goes to Shelbourne. Well, the situation is a little bit different there. They they're heading towards professional football, right? The game is a lot harder than in in terms of playing time, and you have to earn your playing time and stuff like that, and and. I think there's a natural sort of law about that. That anyone who goes to Shelburne would sort of understand that. But it's really pathetic when you see coaches of at a lower age group, a, a lower le- age group, and a lower level, very much a recreational level, who aren't giving players playing time. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's a completely different. Like, to me, that's a completely different scenario. Yeah. This is why I'm saying there's a sort of a natural law about this. Like, that. Guys who go to Shelbourne and, and, and want to play League of Ireland, they know what the score is. They're going in with their eyes open to a certain extent.
3: I think we were of it, like, I don't mean to put across, you. At the time, like Shamrock Rovers, Shelburne have their National League team, but they also have the DDSL. Yeah, yeah. So we had the two different branches there, where you know we could. We never said you're going down to the DDSL, and we never said you're coming up to the League of Ireland. We've always we, we, we maintained that you're, you're, you're just going over there for a while. You're coming over here for a while. You know what I mean? We didn't want to put that kind of uh, you know, we wanted them to be integrated, but we also wanted to be in a position where what we were talking about, that, that we felt that a player needed time to step away from from League of Ireland football, just for a while, step across, take your time, get yourself back into it. But we also appreciate that not all League of Ireland clubs have that facility. Yeah, you were lucky to have that
2: situation.
3: Soon. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's such an it's it's a huge situation. That's why I I, I was quite kind there of, when I was on that academy. I was saying, look, can we can have ourselves a situation that we say Pat's tie in with Lourdes Celtic. So can we have a situation that you know there's no transfer needed there for players. Do you know what I mean? There's no transfer needed there for players. That we we have we have this facility that you know we we we're starting with this squad, but uh, say Lourdes Celtic and 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 say St Patrick's This is, this is these are the age groups that are Lourdes Celtic and Pat's National League games, and these players can cross over at any given time. That way, we're keeping them in the system. You know what I mean? We're not pushing them away, and and there there is that support network where it could be something going on in a family background, and there is a more of a high profile, no matter what age group you're playing at in League of Ireland. Now there is more of a high profile. Um, you know, all this Snapchat and social media stuff. Sometimes hundreds, little hundreds little of the young
2: sad. lads going around school saying they're League of Ireland players.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, bro, hundreds,
1: hundreds
0: of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna leave the last question. Uh, I'm gonna start with Gary. Uh, Gary we have a question in from David Ryan from Dublin and he asks I run an under 16 team and the club is short of space especially during the winter as we have to use small sided Astros I find it hard to coach the 11 a side needs uh, for the team on an Astro could any of the coaches give me some advice Gary I'll go with you
1: yeah like I think you can always coach whatever your team scenario is you have things you want to do in the, the kind of the way they call them the four functions. So when you have the ball, when you don't have the ball, uh, your transitions then. So when you win it back and you're going to counter attack or when you've just lost the ball, uh, although you're not in a, on an eleven side Astro, you can still coach. And I, I call them principles. People call them different things where when my team has the ball, we look to do the one or two things and we have the ball there, no matter what the formation is or the size of the grid or whatever, they're just key kind of, um, like i would call them principles anyway or team values or whatever you want label you want to put on them really it's just a label but you can still coach that in that small astro so let's just take it that you're this you're a team that likes to have possession and you're quite a strong team at your level then you can coach what you want in them smaller possession games whether it's again six v six with one or two extra link players or depending on the size and of the astro that's what i think anyway i think you can always coach your kind of principles all the time, no matter if it's a 1v1 or if it's a, a 6v6 or a 7v7. Yeah.
0: Uh, Larry, what about yourself? You have a nice big Astro down there, don't you? So, yeah, these we have are one of the blessed ones. How, yeah. how, how, how did you get on before in the Dark Ages when you ran out of light under <laughs> the lamppost? Yeah,
2: look, it was always <laughs> difficult, to, Roy. And these small Astros that get built, and I know a lot of clubs have them monog- and just to me, just a waste. You can't look. Of course, Gary's one hundred percent right. Okay, you can do your basic stuff. You can get your you can get your principles to play. You can get how you want players to play. It would take an awful lot of good organization and good planning to be able to use that small space in a way that takes a chunk out of the eleven-a-side game because he's playing eleven-a-side because it's you say under sixteen. Yeah you'd need very, very good planning skills to take a chunk of the 11th-side game. Just, let's say, walking down the right-hand side of the field in your 11th-side team, your relationship between your full-back and your your wide player and your front player, that, that little triangle down the right-hand side of the field. Now, you could, you could do something that way, but it would take really, really good planning. In terms of the basics, how you want your team to work how you, how you want them to settle on the ball, to be calm, how you want them, whether you want them to attack quickly or whether you want them to slowly build up. All of that can be done in a smaller space. But when you get to a bigger size, really, really what you have to do is you have to be able to draw a picture, draw a square around the part of the field that you want to walk in and identify those players that you need to work on. Say, for example, if you're walking in a 40 by 30 yard astro meters, sorry about the yards sorry about the money. if you're working on a 40 by 30 yard uh, astro all right, you can still work on your on the center of your team you can still work on on your two, your one striker or your two strikers and your two center midfielders and how they relate to each other now what you do with the rest of your team then <laughs> is the problem yeah. but you can still do that type of coaching yeah. right now i would say probably by all the these astro's most of them seem to be about 40 by 30 yeah so one of the things I used to do on, on, on them, and I know it sounds a bit strange. I used to get a mobile goal and stick it in the corner. Right. And play um st- stick it in the corner facing across the pitch and walk on, on near post crossing. Okay. <laughs> so you have 40 yards, so you have a half of the pitch. So you're going down, you're going down actually along the end line of the pitch to to cross, and then you're walking on the timing of your front players. Now 40 by 30 yard, and again the question is what do you do with the rest of your team then yeah, Right, yeah. but it can be done you can work on the on the on the longer relationships in the 11 or so game, but it has to be taken a chunk at a time
0: yeah Stephen have you had any uh experience with that
3: yeah I had loads with, <laughs> so you know and, and you do you, you have to adapt and you know there was an awful lot of functional practices that, we, that we'd that we have to... We, we'd break them into the units and, you know, we'd have our defenders defending. We'd have our midfield players um, doing technical um, drills. And then we'd have our strikers, uh, you know, joining in with that, with a finish at the end of it. It's all very tight. But I always enjoyed it. I think over in Milan, they have a thing, they call it the cage. It's, uh, you know it's a small Astro. It's literally like a small Astro and they go in, they do their 1v1s, the 2v2s, the 3v3s there. The players absolutely hate it because it's so intense. And you know, what, what small areas do, it, it's a, it's a great fitness workout for the players, but it's been done with the ball yeah. and it's, and it's create, it's creating, it's street football, but if you can create a street football environment, I think as the two boys were saying, you know, have a key focus on, on a on a relationship because what we're saying is there's always just, just kind of relationships uh you know like with your fullback and your wide player, your two center halves, your two midfielders, your two strikers. You know, you can you can you can break your session into kind of if you're if you're there for an hour, you know, you can be doing the fourth part of your session. You you want to build that relationship with your strikers. And how they can combine with uh, midfield players. Then you can have your midfield players. How can they combine taking it out from the back? And then you can combine. And you can walk on it. your last fifteen minutes can be defending, where you can have your attackers and your uh, strikers. And it's good for it's good for the defending because they have to be compact in the spaces. And it's good for the attackers because they're walking in tight spaces, and they, okay. they have to do it. So I suppose don't overthink it. Although yeah. I
2: probably made that a- sound a little complicated. <laughs> absolutely, br- absolutely brilliant point there, Steve. Because, like, even when I was working in the National League, a huge chunk of time in, in training like, was spent in one on ones and two on twos. Because one on one is the basis of the game, anyway, no matter what level you're playing at. Right. And I've never met a group of players from under eights up to the National League, up to the professionals in the National League, who didn't actually enjoy that element of the game. Yeah. When they were doing that. So you, you'll get you'll get buy in from your players, and there's a lot of things you can work on. You can work on you can work on your defending. You can you can work on your mental attitude. You can work on concentration. You can work on combination play. You can work on on, on pressure and cover, all in the one on ones and two on two games. Yeah, like there's, there's a huge scope there.
3: And like we're going back to the defending there. Really, sorry, that some of these astral uh, force you to be compact. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They're actually forcing your team to be in a defensive shape. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you're actually getting defensive work done, Elva. Do you know what I mean? And the players are actually seeing the benefits of what being compact is. Do you know what I mean? They're they're, yeah. they're closing space. They're providing cover. Do you know what I mean? All the all this stuff happens naturally. Do you know what I mean? So it's you know it's not a bad thing to have that. Yeah. You know i mean it's,
0: it's genuinely not a bad thing to have it. so it's that that's working probably good habits uh, it, can, it can also I suppose work bad habits where it, maybe it introduced a lot of sharp passing into your game and, and 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 if you're doing that week a week month after month over a Christmas period that the longer game as we talked about everything coming out from the back line and all that sort of stuff, that the longer part of your game uh isn't seeing, and I've seen it before with kids who keep looking to play that short pass because that's what they've been used to for the last four weeks in in training. Um, how would well, they? In-
3: if they're, if, they're, if those games are, are directional, right? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That, like, even in small spaces, you know, you can you can you can say yes, we want combinations, but you know, even if as I are saying, if it's forty long, you have two teams playing twenty by twenty, with the objective is to get it into the striker up there. Do you know what I mean? So now you're creating short passes with the intent to get the ball up there. Oh, okay. I think the problem starts when you say you have to get four passes before you can get it up to them. Yeah. I think that's the problem. Yeah. Because kids are, are, are now, you know, they're afraid to release the ball early. They think it's the wrong thing to do when it comes to match day. So in a confined area, do you know what I mean? Put them in a small shape and say your objective is to get that into him and then get up and support them. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And give them the freedom to do that. Do you know what I mean? So, like, yeah, if you want to be randos and you want to be possession-based, grand, but it's not an excuse. You know, you can still have directional with a with a lot. Now, come here, a long pass is 15 yards. Do you yeah. know what I mean? We're not talking about 40 yards, lumps down the channels and what have you. Even though today, that's still not a bad ball, by the way, if you're playing with a couple of uh, worthy, uh, runny strikers, you know? But at the same time, you can promote it you can make this as negative as you want or you can make it as positive as you want like anything in life a
2: little bit of imagination like you know if you are a 40 by 30 everything you need to do can be done in four on four in terms of the shape the basic shape of your team because yeah. you're fitting you're fitting that diamond shape into your 11 aside so team so what the players do in the diamond shape that that is around the ball They'll, they will be the exact same habits that they will use in the 11-a-side. You know, the trick then for the coach is to fit those, those those diamonds into the 11-a-side game, but they will still do everything. Now, again, a little bit of imagination. If you have your team, if you have a panel of 20 and you have a 5-a-side on, you can have the other 10 players outside the, outside the area doing some sort of exercise, doing some keepy-uppies or whatever so that the 10 players on the pitch do have realistic spaces yeah. to play in. Yeah. All these little things, you know, this is the difference, right, between the, the science and the art of coaching. Right? I, I the, think there's
0: a, there, there could be a book in this question. Uh, yeah, yeah, l- right. L- 11 decides 11 in, in, in short sided uh, pitches. Gary, you wanted to finish up.
1: Yeah, I think, just to go back to what Stephen said and, well, on the point you made where the kids are obviously practicing in a smaller space so that they'll play these smaller passes, but again, that comes back to what you where you guide them as a coach. Uh, one of the best things I've ever heard uh, when I first started coaching is when a player has the ball in possession, you should teach them to look at their longest passing option first because that's the quickest one that gets you to the goal. If you're a centre-back and you win the ball and you look up and their two centre-backs are gone somewhere and your center forward's is strong goal, you play that pass. Whether you're Barcelona or not, it doesn't matter. You always play that forward And by looking for that longest pass, you'll see everything in between. So whether, like Stephen said, if that's a 40... Um, meter-length box, and you put a striker in there, even though that's not 60, 70 yards it is in the pitch, you're still teaching that idea in a player's head to look yeah. at that pass. And that doesn't matter whether he's 60 yards away or 20 yards away. It's the principle that you always look for that pass and you see everything in between. So it's how you actually coach the players. If you just yeah. coach them to look for that short pass, that's all they're going to see because they won't see beyond that. But it's it's how you guide them. And the dimensions don't matter then because you're teaching them. You always look for that pass to see everything in between. It's a big see? one, I think.
3: He explained it better to me. <laughs> that, that, Cruyff has a lot, uh, that Cruyff
2: has a lot to answer for. <laughs> that Cruyff quote. Uh,
0: listen, uh, you've been brilliant, Larry, Stephen and Gary. I'm going to let you uh, do a little plug at the end. Gary, uh, talk about training one-to-one. you got 30 seconds.
1: Yes, yeah, so training one-to-one, we offer small group sessions. Um, again, from all ages, some people think we only work with, with kind of senior players or professional players, but it's literally seven, eight-year-olds all the way up. Uh, you'll get us on Instagram at train one to uh, one, and obviously you can touch base with us there.
0: Okay, Larry, you have uh, two books out now. Um, two this, now, oh yeah. This is it, yeah. Uh, you, you're going for the trilogy on the James Joyce of Irish football. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I am going for the trilogy, yeah. I am. You know, ho- Hopefully, the three will be a set. Yeah, it's um, basically what my books are about. Are about teaching kids at, at the very basic level to make decisions for themselves, to see the game for themselves to be able to read it and for the coach to be able to help them to do that. Okay. The, uh, the books can be got at big picture, coaching
0: orland.com. Brilliant. Stephen, do you want to uh, plug your academy? No, or... I, I,
3: it's not a plug. I just think the kids there, like it's what Lara's saying. We call it the NDA Academy and the NDA is moment decision action. And and that's what we're trying to teach the kids because all the best players, no matter what levels at uh, in a specific moment, make the right decision and have the technical capacity to, to do that action. And we tried to pass that on to the kids. So uh, we do that down at Cove and it's been brilliant. And uh, just, uh, yeah, that's our MDA Academy Cove.
0: Brilliant. Uh, lads, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and having you on. And it's great to have uh, different minds bounce off each other. Thanks very much for your time. And for everyone listening and watching, thanks very much.